Tales from Ravenbrook. Home. October 28, 1986. The quaint town of Ravenbrook was nestled in the dense pine forests of northern Maine. Those of you who know this place know that it is somewhere where the trees themselves weren't what they appeared. A place where, at times, the winds seemed to whisper ancient tales, and shadows clung to the edges of reality. Back in those days, I found myself drawn back to the town where I spent my turbulent childhood, a place I thought I had escaped. As a young doctor, the journey back to Ravenbrook was prompted by an opportunity to work at the small community hospital. Despite the unsettling memories that lurked in the corners of my mind, I convinced myself that it was the right move for my growing family. My wife Emily and our two children Amy and Jake embraced the change with the enthusiasm of newcomers, unaware of the eerie legacy that Ravenbrook held for me. Growing up, my mother had been my sole guardian. To put it simply, she had schizophrenia. To put it not so simply, the shadows of her delusions cast a long, disconcerting pall over my formative years. My twenties had brought a semblance of normalcy, and I had successfully eluded the specter of her affliction. However, as I entered my mid-thirties, a foreboding chill crept over me, and that was when the boundaries between reality and imagination began to blur. It started with whispers in the pines, echoing through the night like auditory specters. I dismissed them initially as the result of an overwrought imagination, a side effect of the stressful move and the burden of my newfound responsibilities. But soon the whispers took shape, words wrapped in the haunting melody of the wind. One evening as I walked home from the hospital, my breath hanging in the frigid air, I heard my name carried on the wind. David. It called, low and guttural. I halted, scanning the darkened forest, the towering pines casting shadows that seemed, just for a moment, like they were alive. A shiver traced its way down my spine and I quickened my pace. At home... I confided in Emily about the unsettling occurrences, but her dismissive smile hinted at a skepticism I wished I could share. It's just stress, David, she assured me, her eyes reflecting a concern that she couldn't fully comprehend. The whispers persisted, infiltrating my waking hours. Patients' voices in the hospital would meld into an indecipherable cacophony their words warping into sinister murmurs that clawed at the edges of my sanity. It was as if the very air in Ravenbrook carried the residue of my mother's affliction. One fateful night, as I tended to a patient in the dimly lit emergency room, the boundaries between my reality and my mother's tortured world crumbled. The patient, an elderly woman with vacant eyes, whispered, "'The shadows hunger, doctor.' I recoiled, the weight of her words settling like a cold hand on my heart. I stumbled back, my breath quickening. What did you say? I demanded, my voice tinged with fear. Her lips moved again, but the words emerged as an eerie chant that seemed to reverberate through the walls. Beware the shadows, for they hunger. They hunger for the light within you, doctor. I fled the room leaving the confused patient behind. My steps echoed through the empty hallways, each footfall carrying the weight of a growing dread. In my office, the shadows seemed to writhe with a life of their own, and I found myself, for the first time, truly questioning my sanity. That night sleep eluded me. I lay beside Emily, the moon casting a beautiful glow on her peaceful face, and the whispers returned insidious tendrils that wound their way into my consciousness. David, they hissed, coaxing me into the darkness. 
I slipped out of my bed, my feet moving of their own accord. The hallway stretched before me, a corridor of shadows that beckoned me forward. The whispers guided me, their voices intertwining with memories of my mother's tortured lullabies. In the living room, the air grew thick. A figure materialized in the darkness. My mother. Her eyes vacant, yet brimming with a dark intelligence. The shadows hunger, my son. She intoned, her voice a ghostly echo. I stumbled backward, my mind unraveling as the threads of reality slipped completely through my fingers. The room began pulsating with energy, and the whispers grew and grew until I thought my brain would explode. David! Emily's voice cut through the spectral symphony, pulling me back from the brink. She stood at the doorway, her eyes wide with concern. What's happening to you? I tried to speak, to articulate the maelstrom of chaos within me, but the words eluded me. The room seemed to warp and twist, the boundaries between past and present collapsing like a house of cards. As Emily reached for me, her touch grounding me in the tangible world, the whispers retreated into the shadows. But their lingering presence hung in the air. I had no idea just how devastating these events would become. It was only the beginning of a nightmare that would test the limits of my sanity and the resilience of my family. Because you see, in the heart of the pines, some kind of darkness awaited, hungry, insatiable, and some would say woven into the very fabric of Ravenbrook's haunting legacy. The following days in town were marked by an unsettling calm, as if the town itself held its breath, waiting for the shadows to reveal their secrets. My encounters with the whispers became sporadic, fleeting moments that left me questioning whether any of it had ever happened at all. Emily could sense my unease. She suggested seeking the guidance of a local therapist hoping that we could unravel the knots that bound my mind. And so, Dr. Margaret Foster, a silver-haired woman with a gaze that seemed to pierce the veil of one's soul, became my reluctant confidant. In her dimly lit office, adorned with bookshelves filled with tomes on the human psyche, I recounted the strange events that had unfolded since I came home. She listened intently, her pen scratching notes on a yellow legal pad, Tell me about your mother, David, she prompted, her voice a soothing balm. I hesitated, the memories of my mother's tortured existence surfacing like specters from the past. She struggled with schizophrenia, I began, the words carrying the weight of a lifetime. Her world was a a labyrinth of delusions and shadows. As you know, well... I thought I'd escaped it, but now... Dr. Foster leaned forward, her eyes kind yet probing. The past has a way of catching up with us, especially in places like Ravenbrook. You have a history here. This place means something to you. Her words resonated with me. It was undeniable. An unsettling truth to be sure, but a truth nonetheless. Ravenbrook with its ancient pines and secrets buried deep in the soil, seemed to hold a mirror to my own fractured soul. As I delved into the recesses of my memories, Dr. Foster guided me through the maze of my past, urging me to confront the shadows that clung to my psyche. In the evenings after the therapy sessions, I wandered the streets, the cold air biting into my skin. The town had an eerie quietness, I couldn't ignore the feeling that a storm was building just over the horizon. The whispers returned, their words twisted and enigmatic, as if the very air carried the echoes of forgotten sorrows. One night as I passed the dilapidated remains of the abandoned Ravenbrook Asylum, a chill swept through me. The asylum was the very definition of a relic from a bygone era. 
publicly, it signified a time when people of nearly all severities of mental, emotional, and social deviation were often locked up, their keys thrown away. Personally, it was here that my mother had spent her final tortured years, lost in her own mind. The asylum loomed like a derelict sentinel, its broken windows staring out into the night. The whispers intensified, converging into a chorus of spectral voices that seemed to emanate from the decaying walls. David, they murmured. Compelled by the familiarity of the voice, I stepped through the rusted gates, the echoes of my footfalls mingling with the spectral symphony. The interior was a maze of crumbling corridors and shadowed alcoves, each step echoing with the ghostly whispers of the past. As I ventured deeper, the air thickened, and shadows danced on the walls, their movements synchronized with the pulsating rhythm of the whispers. I stumbled upon a decaying door, the hinges creaked in protest as I pushed it open. A flickering light revealed a chamber adorned with faded wallpaper and a solitary broken-down bed. In the corner, a figure stood, its back turned to me. My veins turned to ice as the figure slowly turned and revealed the spectral visage of my mother. The shadows hunger, my son, she whispered, the words resonating through the desolate chamber. They hunger for the light within you, as they hunger for mine. I recoiled, the truth of her words settling like a lead weight in my chest, as a suddenly undeniable truth settled in my mind. The shadows that haunted Ravenbrook, that haunted my mother, were not mere hallucinations. They were a manifestation of a darkness that transcended generations. The legacy of the asylum... The tortured spirits lingering in its dilapidated halls, intertwined with the threads of my own bloodline. With a start, I found myself back in the cold night air, outside the asylum. The whispers had subsided, leaving only the distant howl of the wind through the pines. The weight of revelation bore down on me, a chilling certainty that the shadows I faced were not confined to my own mind but were a living, breathing entity that was as much a part of Ravenbrook as the soil on which it stood. As I made my way home, a sense of urgency gripped me. The whispers, the shadows, and the legacy of the asylum were threads in a tapestry of horror that I just could not come to terms with. Somehow, I had become convinced of one thing. The darkness that surrounded this place was hungry, and it was becoming increasingly clear that the nightmare had only just begun. The weeks that followed carried the weight of impending doom, as Ravenbrook's shadows wrapped themselves around my life with an unrelenting grip. Dr. Foster's therapy sessions quickly became a desperate lifeline, a feeble attempt to navigate my fractured mind. The once charming town now bore the scars of its haunting past everywhere I looked, and my family, unwittingly, was walking the tightrope between reality and some kind of spectral abyss. Emily's concern deepened. I could see it etched across her face like a map of worry. She insisted on joining me in therapy, hoping to untangle the web of shadows that ensnared our lives. It didn't help. In Dr. Foster's office, the air seemed to crackle with tension as I revealed the chilling events that unfolded in the asylum, constantly checking in with Emily's incredulous facial expressions. Dr. Foster didn't seem to be phased by her silent protest. The past has a way of demanding its due, she mused, her gaze probing the depths of our shared despair. But confronting it is the only path to redemption. At my therapist's urging, I journeyed back to the asylum. She insisted that my family's safety was hanging in the balance. I didn't have a choice. The moon cast a glow on the decrepit structure as I stood before its broken gates. The whispers, now a symphony of sorrow, guided me through the labyrinthine corridors. 
The air inside the abandoned asylum hung heavy. Dim light filtered through cracked windows, casting elongated shadows that clung to the decaying walls like poured ink. I pressed forward, venturing deeper into the heart, guided by the whispers that echoed through its desolate corridors. The stairs creaked beneath my weight as I ascended to the upper floors, the chill of the air seeping into my bones. The once grand structure now stood as a mausoleum of pain and madness. Each step seemed to echo the tortured screams of those who had lived through the suffering and those who had not. As I reached the landing, a familiar flickering light illuminated a corridor, otherwise veiled in shadows. The whispers intensified, their words weaving into a panicked fever pitch. The temperature plummeted as I continued my ascent. The shadows actually began to feel heavy as they clung to my every step. As I reached the topmost floor, once again, a spectral figure materialized before me. This time misty, gray, hazy. I never saw who or what it was. Before I could focus... My foot slipped on a decaying step, and the world seemed to lurch beneath me. Time slowed as I grasped for purchase. The flickering light whirled before me in a kaleidoscopic light show. In that moment of descent, I glimpsed the face of my mother. Her sorrowful eyes were all that I needed to know what was coming. The ground rushed up to meet me, and with a sickening thud, my body collided with the unforgiving floor. I've been here thirty days, or thirty years. I couldn't really tell you. Time doesn't work like that here. I'm alone. Even when the occasional group of adventurous young hooligans makes their way into my home, they feel far from me. Impossibly far. Home. Home. <laughs> home for you the think? holidays. Oh, yeah. Sorry, this wasn't a Christmas episode. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Half no, of it will be. I liked it. I liked it. It was actually really good. I was, I was waiting for something that was going to turn around. Then right there at the very yeah. end. Yep. Because, like, I, yeah. I, I had, like, I had wondered maybe he was starting to descent into madness himself and like maybe he was also like starting to develop schizophrenia or it was like you know starting yeah. to battle with it and because i know like part of this is supposedly with the therapist and everything yeah and so like i thought like he was like kind of starting to relive these things and this is why he like keeps like venturing into these uh you know into this area and seeing his mother and you know, right. and basically kind of reliving everything that she had endured. But, uh, so I was waiting, I was waiting, I was waiting for that to like come together. You know, I was, I was like, there's, there's gotta yeah. be something here. Like, you know, but, uh, it wasn't, it, it just kept going. So finally the wife started joining and, you know, I was like, okay, so maybe, maybe I've got this all wrong. And then boom. Dead. And then you're, <laughs> <laughs> And then our our listeners don't get to experience it, but your gun snap right there at the end that they yeah. missed out on. I was like, oh, all <laughs> right, all right. I see what you did. Yeah. It's uh, I I like the idea. I wanted to I wanted to play with like how would something like hallucinations, like legitimate hallucinations, be received in a place where paranormal phenomenon was so common yeah right yeah that's that's fair for sure where's the where's the line that you draw right between like legitimate paranormal activity and mental illness yeah you know i mean at that point it's very very fine fine line yeah absolutely i mean we've talked while you know researching hauntings and 
alien abductions and all mm-hmm. all all manner of fortean phenomena we almost always talk about like the mental health aspects of it right right the effects of like, like mental health that's something in those we go back to a lot or the aftermath or yeah you know yeah and you always you almost always hear like when people are are talking about how reliable a witness someone is. They're like, oh, he's a super level-headed guy. He never, like, th- which is basically a nice way of saying he wasn't nuts. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he really yeah. had a good head on his shoulders. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so, that, like, there's, that's also... Because a lot of people, a lot of people think hallucination, right? A lot of skeptics, right. they yeah. point at hallucinations. Yeah. So. The question is, is this doctor and his mother, did he really grow up with a mother who was schizophrenic or was she just an experiencer? See? And in a town like Ravenbrook, notorious for everything as it is. Yeah. But like, see, my thing with my, my thing with Ravenbrook is everybody knows that there, there is some dark past. There's some, you know, something to Ravenbrook. Like, it's known, you know, the people, the townspeople know of these things. Like, Ravenbrook holds its secrets. But, maybe at one point, it wasn't as well known. Or, I mean, I know know we've kind of dove into some of these as we've been doing these Tales from Ravenbrook stories. And we've kind of gone further back. And into present day. And what was the the one that was the, uh, I think it was the policeman and... Was it like yeah, the forties? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, and and you know, it was it was known at that point, you know, that something was something was amiss in Ravenbrook. Yeah. Um, I think back in the forties, it was seen more as like a handful of isolated hot spots. Okay, that's you fair. know what I mean. Like yeah. he was getting lot. They would get lots of calls about this house or this stretch of right. road or like yeah. And I think over time they've they the people of Ravenbrook have realized that like oh it's the whole town mm-hmm. like it's everywhere. So I feel like and I think it's be... interesting because like sorry go ahead. I oh, know I was just gonna say I feel like it'd be really hard to you know chalk this up to about with schizophrenia and uh you know and these delusions or hysteria or whatever else in a town that's also known for what it is known for. Yeah. Like it, it's, it would be really yeah, so, difficult to kind of pinpoint that. Yeah. And so if you had legitimate schizophrenia, it might be hard to get that taken seriously right? in a town like this. Yeah. That's, it's weird. I think it's, it's interesting too, because the younger, the kids and even the teenagers and young adults seem to still think of it as like, most of them seem to still think of it as urban legends, yeah. right? Like our town just has lots of urban legends, but the older you get with the citizen, the more they seem to have an understanding of what's really going on. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah, I think that, I think that, that makes a lot of sense though. Obviously you have, you know, the people of Ravenbrook, their firsthand accounts of everything that they're experiencing. Yeah. versus other people that you know like i mean even may live in ravenbrook maybe experiencers themselves but like say like a therapist a psychologist a psychiatrist whatever else they're also going to be trained to you know to maybe focus more on delusions or you know yeah. and, like more scientific explanations yeah. other than yep you know more paranormal same based. with this yeah same with this main character he's a doctor you right. know what I mean? So, of course, he's going to think of, like, my his mom had schizophrenia, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's how he's going to see it, because he's trained in the sciences, right? Yeah. I mean, um, which, yeah, you can't, you can't blame some someone for also, like, I, I can't say that's naivety or they're, well, they're just being naive or whatever, but, like, I think at the same time, and a place like this not being open or not, you know, not at least saying, okay, well, maybe. Sure. You're actually seeing this shit. Like, you know, like versus, yeah. but, you know, again, it's either way, it, it's tough. I think, 
because he spent his childhood in Ravenbrook, and then as a very young adult, he left. Right, he moved away okay, and yeah, got true. all of his training. He went went to college, all that away from Ravenbrook. He just kind of always summed up the the crazy childhood he had as his mom's his mom, schizophrenia, right? Right, yeah. And then we got to see that moment where they transition from oh, this town has lots of urban legends to there's actual magic going on here, right? Right, because mm-hmm. when it like dawns on him, and he doesn't even understand why he suddenly understands, but it suddenly dawns on him that oh, this maybe this isn't schizophrenia. Right. This that is kind of a thing that exists. Moment. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Which I mean, and maybe maybe all the residents have that at some point, you know. Maybe, and that's maybe. why the I older ones understand. That's like a that's a big moment in that case for our for our residents, our Ravenbrookians. Yeah. Um, you know, if that is the case, like that's massive. Yeah. Yeah. Big if true, you might say. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But no, I, I loved um, it. It was un- yeah, like very very well told, very descriptive. It was nice also just when you started and then I started from like in first person. Like if that's yeah. not really a route, you know, that we've we've gotten to explore much with. Um, yeah, I like that being able to have I've like been experimenting with, uh, and yeah, which is cool. I like it because it's more personal, yeah, you know, oh, without a doubt. It's it's not that big, sweeping, omnipotent narrator, right? Right, mm-hmm. that knows everything. I've been experimenting more with first person stories in like my own private writing a lot, so okay. I I pulled it into this. I like for it this week, it, it was, and I, I, I liked it, yeah. worked really well for this one for sure. Cool. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Well, I uh You ready to I tell took, a story? I took a significantly different approach. You know, yeah. in honor of the holiday season, I actually wrote a story <laughs> centered around Christmas, the holidays. Like, yeah, you know, I Yeah. <laughs> I kind of figured with this especially being our last uh but this is our our last No, it's not not the very last one. Uh, but probably Not last tales from Ravenbrook of for the year, and also you know it's right before Christmas. Like I, it just seemed yeah. it made made sense to me. Obviously not to you, but yeah. to me. Yeah. <laughs> Look, okay, <laughs> listeners of the show will understand how ironic this is because I've spent the last four months talking about how I can't wait for Christmas, and then. The episode right before Christmas, I forget that it's the episode right before Christmas. Well, don't worry. I think that it's, it was one of your best yet, and it's also going to trump my my Christmas story. So, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll end it on know. a holiday we'll note, at least. Yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> well, you, uh, Ryan, you ready? carrying the Christmas team over here. Hey, you know what? One of us has to. <laughs> yeah. All right. The next story is titled... The Legend of the Yule Fiends December 24th, 1984 In the hushed town of Ravenbrook, where the whispers of the wind seemed to carry ancient secrets, there stood a tradition as old as the gnarled trees that adorned the surrounding mountains. Nestled against the craggy slopes, the town embraced the eerie allure of its coastal setting. But with the advent of Christmas, a darkness stirred. The tale told in Ravenbrook was of malevolent creatures, known as Yule Fiends, entities that emerged from the shadows during the festive season. These nocturnal terrors took pleasure in desecrating homes, rending apart Christmas ornaments, and most horrifyingly, feasting upon the tender flesh of unsuspecting children. To ward off these malevolent beings, the townspeople had devised a peculiar tradition involving the setting out of yard gnomes. Carved from ancient stones and imbued with protective enchantments, these yard gnomes were the guardians of Ravenbrook during the darkest nights of the year. Their presence, it was said, could repel the Yule fiends and keep the town safe. 
For generations, the people of Ravenbrook had adhered to this strange custom, passing down the tales of the protective gnomes as a somber warning to the uninitiated. This year, however, a new family had unwittingly become the unwitting protagonists in this macabre tale. The Cravens, Mark and Emily, had recently moved into a quaint Victorian house at the edge of town. With them, they brought their two small children, Lucy and Timmy, eager to celebrate their first Christmas in the mysterious town of Ravenbrook. The townspeople, though aware of the Cravens' arrival, hesitated to welcome them properly. The weight of Ravenbrook's dark history made them cautious, yet no one dared to enlighten the newcomers about the traditions that could shield them from the looming danger. Christmas Eve arrived with an unassuming tranquility, the snowflakes descending like feathers from the ashen sky. The Cravens, in their blissful ignorance, adorned their home with festive lights and decorations, casting an inviting glow across the wintry landscape. As the night deepened, the Yule Fiend stirred in the shadowy corners of Ravenbrook, the townspeople, vigilant in their adherence to the ancient customs, set out their yard gnomes, arranging them strategically to form an unbroken protective circle around their homes. Yet, the Craven home remained untouched by the guardian figures, as the family remained unaware of the impending threat. Midnight approached and a chilling wind swept through Ravenbrook, carrying with it the distant echoes of malevolent laughter. The Yule Fiends, no larger than children but infinitely more sinister, crept through the alleys and winding streets. Their eyes glowed with a sinister twinkle as they slinked toward the Craven House, their hunger stirred by the promise of innocence within. Inside the Victorian home, the Cravens slept soundly, oblivious to the darkness that encroached upon their dreams. Down the hallway, Lucy and Timmy nestled in their beds, visions of sugar plums dancing in their heads, unaware that something far more ominous lurked in the corners of their room. The Yule fiends, drawn by the scent of untainted souls, slipped into the craven home with the stealth of shadows. They moved with malevolent glee, tearing down festive decorations and overturning furniture. The Christmas tree, once adorned with twinkling lights, now stood as a twisted monument to their dark presence. The creature's icy fingers brushed against delicate ornaments, shattering them with a haunting resonance. The Yule fiends reveled in chaos, their twisted laughter reverberating through the silent house. As they approached the children's room, the air thickened with terror. The Yule fiends, their eyes gleaming with hunger, peered down at the slumbering forms of Lucy and Timmy. Without hesitation, they descended upon the unsuspecting children, their claws unsheathed. The night wore on and the craven home became a tableau of terror. The Yule fiends sated on the innocence of youth, retreated into the shadows leaving behind a scene of devastation. Broken ornaments littered the floor, the Christmas tree lie in ruins, and the craven parents slept unknowingly through the aftermath of tragedy. As the first light of Christmas morning painted the Ravenbrook sky, the townspeople gathered outside the craven house, their expressions somber. They had adhered to the ancient traditions Yet the Cravens had been forsaken by ignorance. The Yule Fiends, having tasted the sweetness of victory, slinked back into the recesses of Ravenbrook, leaving behind a town forever haunted by the echoes of Christmas horror. Inside the Craven home, Mark and Emily stirred from their slumber, blissfully unaware of the malevolent forces that had visited them in the night. As they descended the creaking stairs to join their children on what should have been a joyous Christmas morning, a pallor of dread settled over the house. The children's room, once filled with laughter and the promise of presents, now stood as a grim testament to the Yule Fiend's insatiable appetite. 
The beds were empty, the sheets stained in blood with the remnants of their feast. Lucy and Timmy, the unwitting victims of a town's ancient curse, were gone. The Craven's anguished cries reverberated through the silent house, reaching the ears of the townspeople gathered outside. The realization set in. The Yule Fiends had claimed their toll, and the Craven family would forever be entwined with the dark history of Ravenbrook. The protective yard gnome standing untouched outside the home watched with stone-cold eyes as the town collectively mourned the cost of ignorance on that unholy Christmas morning. Ravenbrook, wrapped in a veil of mourning, found itself gripped by the sinister aftermath of that night. The townspeople, haunted by the realization that their ancient traditions had failed the Craven family, gathered in unity. The Craven home, now a grim testament to the curse that lurked in the shadows, became a place of morbid fascination for the townspeople. They approached cautiously, whispers of sorrow trailing behind them like ghostly apparitions. The yard gnomes, once guardians imbued with ancient spells, stood silent witness to the tragedy, their stony eyes reflecting the collective grief that enveloped Ravenbrook. Days turned into weeks. The Craven children, once the newcomers who had unknowingly fallen victim to the town of Ravenbrook's dark history, were buried in a small cemetery overlooking the sea. Mark and Emily's faces bore the indelible marks of grief, etched in lines of sorrow that would persist until their final days. The townspeople, in their quest for redemption, revisited the ancient scrolls that held the secrets of the Yard Gnomes and the Yule Fiends. Agatha, one of the town's elders and keeper of knowledge, emerged as a guiding voice in the darkness. She spoke of a formerly unspoken pact between the townspeople and the malevolent entities that haunted Ravenbrook. The Yule Fiends, Agatha explained, her voice laden with regret, are bound by the traditions we uphold. The Yard Gnomes, when placed with intent, can repel the darkness. But if that pact is broken, if ignorance reigns, the Yule Fiends are free to claim their toll. The revelation struck the hearts of the townspeople like a funeral bell tolling in the distance. The unspoken nightmares that haunted Ravenbrook were now brought into the light, and the weight of responsibility pressed upon them. Years passed, and the tale of the Craven family became a chilling cautionary story whispered in hushed tones as a warning to newcomers. The traditions of Ravenbrook, once considered quaint and arcane, now held the weight of life and death. The Yard Gnomes, once thought of as mere ornaments, became symbols of a pact that should never be broken. So each year as Christmas approaches, the townspeople bound by the unspoken curse diligently set out their Yard Gnomes, ensuring the protection of their homes and the safety of their loved ones. The Yule Fiends, still lurking in the periphery of the town, wait patiently for the next unwitting family to become entangled in the web of ancient traditions. Oh, Christmas tree, oh, Christmas tree. That's a fucking sad Christmas story, Ryan. (laughs) Yeah, but we're I'm uh, we're trying to keep this tradition alive, all right? We're trying to bring it back. Yeah. The, you know, the once once uh, like as I mentioned, I I uh, I did a campfire classics uh story recently where I talked about like, you know, listening uh stumbling upon uh, now I can't think of the the name of the song. But the that was the line in it that after we had talked about telling scary stories for Christmas, like Something I never really thought about, but then like ended up hearing that song, and I was like, "Oh, okay, that makes sense now." Yeah. Um. But yeah. So I mean, the goal is to bring this back, and if I have to tell like tell a cautionary story, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. And I this, mean, again, Merry Christmas, dead children. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was gonna do something <laughs> a lot more a lot more terrible. And uh yeah. my my plan was to have two presents 
on the floor by the oh, Christmas Christ. tree. <laughs> I won't. I won't continue if you don't want me to. I actually really like that. That's super diabolical. I was going to, and the two presents were just going to be the heads of each of the kids. Yeah, yeah. They don't eat the heads. They don't eat the heads. But I, I thought that was too much. <laughs> yeah, did you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, good God! So, yeah. But I honestly, I re- I really liked this story. Like. I I love that we're getting sort of like some fae right? lore, yeah. And you know, because you have like the gnomes versus the fiends going on. Yeah, you have this like you have some sort of like um, it reminds me of a, sort of like folk magic going yeah. on with the like the wards to keep away the the beasties. It, right? Yeah, the you know? fiends come out every Christmas, and they're basically like little Grinches, but like meaner. Yeah, yeah, but they eat. They eat children yes the children thing yeah. came to me from kind of krampus which we'll 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 talk about as we further the holidays here um which yep. that's completely a completely different you know direction but like i liked that yeah. and i you know i mean little i like monsters that eat children apparently uh yeah <laughs> i think there was a there was a Obviously. halloween one that uh also feasted upon children but that's neither here nor yes. there uh, there's a pattern going on for some reason. I don't know why. Yeah, yeah. I I, I hear, apologize. You know, <laughs> according to cannibals, children actually don't taste as good as older people. Probably not. Did you know that? Yeah. I mean, I've never thought about eating a child, but I I could see probably not. They're not as uh, you know, like a lot of people like the aged meat. It's sure. like uh, it's like doing sure. like a salt cure on your meat, or you know, like aging whatever and. Yeah, like dry dry yeah. aging. Yeah, that's pretty hip. You waste most yeah. of the meat on it, but you know, I think of it kind of like that. Yeah, or but there's like also a fine like wine. yeah, true, true. Look at a white you, or a red. People also talk about like like how good veal is, right? And that's like baby. Yeah, what is it baby true. lamb? Yeah, yeah. That's uh, I mean, yeah, a lot. It's it's I, that I guess that is a you know is is a popular thing, right? Yeah. Lamb is delicious, so I'm sure I veal mean, is delicious. I, I I do enjoy lamb. Yeah. Yes. A little tzatziki sauce. Oh man. On there. Or just Some like feta. lamb chops. Oh yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. A good <laughs> lamb chop. That actually I, sounds so good. Right honestly, now. I'm I'm so into Greek food. It's crazy. It's phenomenal. Like, yeah, I agree. I agree. And it's so hard to get good Greek food in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I unless I, you're in a big city, obviously, I will settle for just a traditional euro. Like, I mean, that's also one of my all time yeah, favorite. Just things. a run of the mill euro. Yep. Yeah. Like there used to be a yeah. hole in the wall place that we used to go to uh, back in the band days. That's no longer there, and like you get a double euro plate that came with like a f- shitload of fries, uh, enough meat to make literally three three euros if you wanted to. Yeah, and. All for eleven bucks, with a drink yeah. and everything, and a side of cheese yep. for my fries because I'm that guy. <laughs> yeah, eleven it's, bucks. I mean, so good. back in the day when I worked, back in the day when I worked for GM in Marion, Indiana, they had a place called King Euros, right? That was, it was right across the street by the uh, yeah by the pet shop or the uh, little. Was it the by the pet shop or the uh, um, the hobby shop, like that kind of little? I don't know. I haven't been place. over there in so yeah. long. Yeah, but it was right across the street from GM. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they had uh, really good euros. We would have yes, and like you would order for, I think it was like ten or twelve bucks, and you would get just like you said, you'd get like a shitload, way more filling than fit in one flatbread, right? And yeah, like huge crumbles of feta, and you'd get the fries that you got with it. They would, you know, those like brown sandwich bags. Yeah, they would cram one of those all the way full of French fries, Dude. and that was an order of French fries. Yeah. Like we would have it delivered at GM every day. Last I knew, it was still there. Yeah. But shit, it's probably been ten, fifteen years since I've eaten there. Yeah, so it made same. Up. I know. If the it's still there, City. shout out to King Euros. Yeah. 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 The one in Gas City, though, is I mean, super close and super cheap. Yeah. 
So good. I think that one shut down, right? The one in Gas City? Yeah, it did. It did shut down. Yep. Yeah. Because we were going yeah. over there like every weekend for a little while. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because it was so cheap and so good. And yeah. now like finding a proper, my, a proper uh, Euro place is just impossible. Yeah. I recently settled for ordering a Euro at an Arby's. <laughs> they're not the same which isn't the worst euro i've ever <laughs> had not, but it's not, not that there's no feta right there's no tomato like i I like a fully loaded euro you know what i mean yeah i feel that i even when i make them myself i even put some sliced cucumber in there works really well with the I mean, tzatziki yeah. sauce which already has cucumber there's in it a, you know gee oh what is that gordon foods gordon foods where you can buy like the yeah all the shit like schools get and restaurants get and stuff yeah i used to go there was one i think it's an anderson uh it's been years now but used to go there and they you could get like a big bag of just the meat but like throw a couple couple yeah. strips and the know. slices yeah it was awesome yeah. and super cheap and then yeah bag of some flatbread and you're good to go yeah it's delicious mm-hmm. best sandwich ever it's my favorite and you can make the sauce super, super easy. Oh, yeah, it's simple. You can't be simple and can't delicious. Beat a That's what's good sure. about Greek food. It's simple. Yeah, you know? true, true. Mm-hmm. Like good ingredients, good food. Anyway, good pizza. Yule Fiends. Dairy Queen. Yeah. <laughs> so, Way to complete the slogan. I, I, have, I have this this game I like to play where I use other company slogans for, other, for different companies. Yeah. So, like when you hear your yeah. family, Arby's. Or <laughs> we have the meat target. <laughs> I'm loving it. Papa John's. Yeah. Everyone's loving Papa John's. Oh man. Anyhow, back to back to this. So yeah. Yule fiends. I I like the story a lot. It like they I they did it first. I thought like, are these is this like a group of little Krampuses? Right. Right? Yeah. But it, it is different. It also mm-hmm. sort of reminded me of the Yule Lads, which is like, a, mm-hmm. I believe it's a Scandinavian legend. Yeah. Right? But they're more like little hooligans. Right. They're not like monsters, you know? I mean, that's it's kind of what, like, they're about the size of children. But yeah, they're they're little, little kind of little monstery things. They're fiends. And they're just, yeah. just like to wreak havoc on everything. Yeah, but if hungry. that family has children, then... Yeah, unless they properly set up their their yard gnomes, and that's the thing. And there is in and you know, of course, like the the way that I was building, I was kind of building this legend, right? This legend of the Yule fiends, and you know, it's said that in this area, which we haven't dove much into their past, into legends and stuff like that. We talked about it. We talked about like what a legend would look like from this town. And this is yeah. what one of them would look like, essentially, that leads up to these things. Um, yep. You know, so you have this like ancient legend that these like Yule fiends, and it comes from you know very far distant, you know, distant history, right. where they were much it worse than they the are. Predates the official settlement of the town, right? Which are much worse than they are now. Now it's just it's become this yeah. like constant, like knowing thing that, and more so, I think it, it's one of those things like. It's been it's been like thrown down the line for so long that everybody it's just something they do second nature now, and of course Ravenbrook doesn't get a lot of new newcomers to the town, so you know everyone is kind of just stuck in their ways currently, and so everybody knows you know Christmas Eve night we put on our gnomes we circle them around the house and they're just our our protectors our guardians, um yeah you know and and nobody nobody thought to tell i mean they did of course but you know in a a town of a town that has specific traditions and specific ways that they do things that everybody in the town abides by and follow suit like it would be kind of weird and off-putting to go to a newcomer and be like so we do this you're gonna need to do this yeah you know i think that's kind (laughs) of like that approach like why they didn't but you know, and I don't think it was really like, you know, it was actually thought that it was going to happen. But, of course, you yeah. have these people that start to gather outside the house on Christmas morning because they notice they didn't follow suit like everybody else did. 
And then yeah. it's confirmed. And they're curious when, to see what happened. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's that's kind of how I took it is like you have a lot of people who are like they follow the tradition, of course, and maybe they thought at worst they'd get like TP'd and you know right. yeah. I mean you they know, get some stuff the torn town up or whatever. They didn't believe the more extreme version of the legend, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? So, and that's where yeah. after that there is that realization, and it's also confirmed by one of the town's elders, which we actually get a name now, as Agatha. Yeah. Uh, the protector of knowledge of the town um that does state like this pact yep. that was that was made all all these years ago um you know and that's basically yeah. this the way it is if you don't do it then yeah that's one of our first bits of of super early history for the area so mm-hmm. that's cool that's good yeah yeah for um, sure my question right away almost immediately my question was why wouldn't they just plant a fucking yard gnome every ten feet around the entire town, like telephone it's just poles. like a ward? Because these things yeah. come from the darkest corners of Ravenbrook themselves. They're already in the town. Oh, they're already they come, inside. They come okay, out. Yep, like, you're right. They're basically yep. in the ground. Is kind of how I envision it. Like they, yeah. you know, burrow out of the ground and gotcha. Come out on Christmas Eve at night, and they return back to their yeah. You know, those darkest corners of this town. As I said in my story, as much a part of Ravenbrook as the soil it sits on itself. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Straight out of the soil. Straight out of the soil. I like that image. I kind of wish you would have had something in there that described that straight of them, like, sort of clawing their way up out of the ground. Yeah. All right, well, let's redo this, and we'll try it again. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All over again. Yeah, all over again. But, yeah, well done. That's a super fucked up, super dark, I mean, very Christmassy story. It is, so, but I want to have... You like, nailed it. This town is, it's just, it has its secrets. It has its dark past. It has its dark passenger, Certainly. if you will, that is always with it. Um, and yeah. we're here for the ride. And I, I want this to get dark. Yeah, it's getting darker and darker. Yeah. <laughs> I wish so I strap in, <laughs> seriously. I wish I would have it's included get the dark bit as about fuck. the presence in the story, man. <laughs> now I'm kind of regretting not doing it. Maybe next time. Maybe next time. <laughs> yeah, we're we're going to try and keep it a little lighter for our younger audience. Yeah. This show is is intended for adult audiences, mind you. So if you aren't adulty, we warned you. Yeah. Either be a fucking adult and be fine with decapitated children <laughs> in your stories. Or listen to a different Christmas podcast. <laughs> all right. And the Grinch's That's heart the line three we're drawing times in the Christmas the, sand. size that day. That's right. Ugh. All right. Well, Merry fucking Christmas, campers. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Enjoy yourselves. It only comes once a year. Yeah. Unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs>